0: Welcome to the one climbs podcast a show about exploring life through the lens of theology scripture symbolism and ideas that uplift the human mind I think one of the most important things that we can know and be able to instantly answer clearly And concisely are the answers to three questions. What is the doctrine of Christ? What is the gospel? And what is the fullness of the gospel? These are all things that are spoken of in the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon. And if they're talking about something specific enough to repeatedly refer to it by a name, we should be able to identify it. We should be able to articulate these things clearly and understand what they are. If anyone asks us or in our own personal study, these things should really be burned into our hearts and minds because this is the message that Christ came to teach. These things are essential for our salvation. What does the word fullness mean? So I've got the 1828 definition here and it says, That fullness is a state of being filled so as to leave no part vacant. The state abounding or being in great plenty, abundance, completeness, the state of a thing in which nothing is wanted, perfection. So the fullness of the gospel obviously has reference to the gospel and it involves the state of being filled no parts vacant, we have completeness, where nothing is wanted, and we have perfection. Okay, so first, let's identify what the gospel is. This is not a deep and complicated topic. It is extremely simple and very easy to define. So the gospel of Christ is defined here by Christ himself, and it's in 3 Nephi 27, 13-15. through 15. He says, Behold, I have given unto you my gospel. And he's speaking to the Nephites here. And he says, And this is the gospel which I have given you, that I came into the world to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me. And my Father sent me, that I might be lifted up upon the cross. And after that I had been lifted up upon the cross, that I might draw all men unto me, that as I have been lifted up by men, Even so should men be lifted up by the Father, to stand before me, to be judged of their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And for this cause have I been lifted up. Therefore, according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me, that they may be judged according to their works. So this is the gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ has been sent by the Father. He's come into the world. He was lifted up on the cross by men so that he might draw all men unto him so that they should stand before him and be judged of their works. And he will be their judge. One that has been judged by men. So he was wrongly convicted. He was beaten horribly. He was tortured. And he was put through these incredible contradictions in his life. And through all of it, he remained stable and centered and based and perfect throughout all of that. He kept the law perfectly. And now he will be the judge. And what a perfect judge he can be because he understands the law completely. He also understands us completely. Our motivations, our desires, the evils in our hearts, the things that we're tempted with. He was tempted. He was presented with all these things as well. So he is a perfect judge. No one can accuse Jesus Christ of doing ill, doing wrong, and breaking the law. He kept the law perfect, so he will be a perfect judge. And what great news that is. They estimate like there's 10, 11% of people in prison right now, they're actually innocent we judged incorrectly. And there's groups that try to work to prove people's innocence if they think they have a case. And some people sit in prison for years and years. It's it's really sad. But here, this good news is we have this perfect judge that that not only can judge us perfectly, but he has himself paid the price for our sins. That's why he was lifted up. So that he could draw all men unto him, right? So he has paid the ultimate price. It's already been paid. He paid it. It's done. It's finished. What great news is that? So no matter how dark your sins are today, no matter how horrible of things that you may have done, no matter how much you may beat yourself up over this, that, and the other thing, no matter how many times you've repeated that sin over and over again, you have Christ. He's, he's already paid the price. It's an infinite, perfect atonement. Though your sins be scarlet they can be as white as snow 100% redemption 100% pure and clean I don't know what other news there could be that is better than that because your life here is going to end no matter how good you have it on earth no matter how bad you have it it's going to end and it's in the blink of an eye you go and talk to anyone that's 100 years old and say well, wow, you're hundred now, you have all this life, you did all these things and boom, now you're here in the blink of an eye, right? It's crazy when you think about it. So our time here is so short, but it's so meaningful. What we learn here is so critical, but we have this good news, this message, this gospel that God himself came down into the flesh to live life, to experience what we did. And then pay for all of that, which wasn't about fairness. It wasn't fair that Jesus had to take on all of that, but it wasn't about fairness. It was about love and mercy. And because he could do it, he did it. And now he stands to judge us. I, I, I wouldn't want anyone else to judge us, right? Think about all the other potential judges you could have some panel of people who are you know, looking upon your life and have no way to identify with what you struggle with, but here you have Christ, right? So that's the gospel. That's the simple gospel right there that the father sent Jesus. He was lifted up onto the cross by men. He was slain and you could go more detail in the story. He was buried. He rose again. He has been lifted up by the father and he stands now to judge. That's the gospel right there. You could easily describe it to somebody, but that's it. The next thing we have to understand is the doctrine of Christ here. So what is the doctrine of Christ? Christ explains what his doctrine is, and it's taught multiple times all throughout the Book of Mormon, as is the gospel. Like These things are mentioned quite frequently and in all of the most important sermons. So the doctrine of Christ here, he says, and this is my doctrine and it is the doctrine which the father hath given unto me. Now, the rest of this, this is third Nephi 11, 33 through 38. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of this. And so uh, basically it says, if one repents and is baptized in the name of Christ becomes as a little child, the father will visit them with fire and with the Holy ghost And if they do this faithfully and endure to the end, they shall be saved and inherit the kingdom of God. And whosoever does not believe in Christ and is not baptized shall be damned. This is the doctrine of Christ. And he says, if you add anything to this, if you take anything, it cometh of evil, right? So that's it. That's the doctrine of Christ. Now you might say, well, you know, there's, there's all this other stuff in LDS theology. That's true. There's other things. But those things are not specifically what are defined as the doctrine of Christ. That doesn't mean that it's simply the doctrine of Christ and nothing else. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have other doctrines and things that he teaches, right? Because you got the whole sermon on the mount. Jesus said, if you do these things, you're built upon his rock. There's the sacrament. There's all these other things. But this here, what is specifically referred to as the doctrine of Christ this is what he says his doctrine is so this part of it we really need to understand because it's very important because these both of these things have to do with something very specific and that is your salvation That is redemption from the fall this is the thing that christ came to do and this is how he does it but his doctrine is this we have to repent and by repenting we come unto god and we see our sins through god's eyes and we turn from them we change we become a new person we realize we need to be redeemed we realize our fallen state so we repent we see things different and we decide to move away from something it's like if you were eating something and someone came up to you and said hey that has poison in it and they showed you the evidence and you drop that thing and you spit the food out of your mouth you would never go back to that again right because now you see differently so god is asking us to have that kind of experience except with sins we're we're asked to examine his word and his teachings and look at the truth look at the poison that's in our lives are we going to spit it out and turn from it are we going to believe god or are we going to say, no, I, I don't believe God. I don't believe these things are harmful at all. And I'm going to continue going about my way. So a truly repentant person would be somebody who's willing to hear out the message of Christ. And allow their minds to change. And be willing to see a new reality. And when somebody does that, when they repent. And they're baptized in the name of Christ. And become a as a little child and this is mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures what that means you know to be humble and submissive just as a child submits to their father and then the father will visit them with fire and the holy ghost the father will visit them with fire and the holy ghost to baptize means to immerse something And when you're immersed in water, that that element, water, you're completely submerged and surrounded by it. And that baptism simultaneously represents three different stories, at least. Past, present, future. The past story it tells is of Jesus' burial and rebirth, his resurrection. The present story it tells is of our present death of our sinful life and our resurrection into a new life as a child of Christ, taking his name upon us. We're in his family. Now we've been adopted. That's the present story. The future story points to, by making this covenant with God, there is a future baptism, a baptism of fire and fire. When we read about this in the scriptures, Fire is often equated with the presence of God. God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. And whenever you see his presence, there are chariots of fire, there are pillars of fire. And we suppose this is the ancients way of describing something they're experiencing with the next closest thing they can associate with it. Fire. So the father will visit them. So when someone makes this covenant with Christ, they will be visited by the Father with fire, which means God's presence will be there. And having experienced this myself, I can share that this is true. There were many spiritual experiences I had in my life before I experienced the baptism of fire. I saw miracles. I saw all kinds of things that I could go on for a very long time about. But none of those was the baptism of fire. I had had answers to prayers. There were personal revelation that was extremely specific and distinct. And produced results. I, I have amazing stories to tell. But none of those were that visit from the Father with fire and the Holy Ghost. Until it happened, then I understood. Then I knew what this was and so this is true if one repents and is baptized in the name of Christ and becomes as a little child meek submissive and humble willing to submit to whatever the father requires as a child trusts their father and the father is not going to require anything from us that is harmful or wicked or evil only good for our good and the good of others and as we do this we learn to trust god we empty ourselves of all of our selfish desires And once we're empty, then God comes and he fills us. Father will visit them with fire, with his presence and glory and with the Holy Ghost. And if they do this faithfully and endure to the end, because we must endure to the end, because just because you make this choice and you're visited by the father with fire, this doesn't mean your ability to choose vanishes like if you were eating that poisoned food before you may not want to eat that poisoned food again right immediately after you learn they're poisoning but as time goes on you know you could sink back into your ways and say you know enough with this life i'm going to eat that poisoned food but for a different reason now i'm going to turn back to my vomit you can still do that you can still choose to reject the gift But if we endure to the end, we'll be saved and inherit the kingdom of God. But whosoever does not believe in Christ and is not baptized shall be damned. So there's that as well. And this isn't because God is trying to be mean or threaten us. This is just simply the truth. God is loving us enough to give us the truth. This is justice. And mercy cannot rob justice. So this is the doctrine of Christ. We repent, we go down into the water, become as a little child. The Father will visit us with fire and the Holy Ghost. And at that point, we should be faithful and endure to the end. And those who do such will be saved and inherit the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we cannot be saved and justice will have full claim upon us. This is the doctrine of Christ and both of these, the gospel of Christ and the doctrine of Christ constitute the fullness of the gospel. That's basically the explanation there. So if uh, anybody comes in and say, Hey, what is the gospel? You have an answer to that. There you go. If you have a question about what the doctrine of Christ is, there it is. That's it. Very simple. The fullness of the gospel, consists of this message that's the message that's the fullness of the gospel right there the fullness of the gospel of christ now if you go to the title page of the book of mormon and we look at what the book of mormon says and what its purpose is some people interpret the fullness of the gospel to mean all of the teachings of the current iteration of lds theology and i say the current iteration because we know there are many more things to be revealed we don't even know what will be revealed in the future, what life will be like in the millennium, what we will be taught from God and believe and teach and practice. And so people like to say that everything within LDS theology is the fullness of the gospel. And that's simply not true. The fullness of the gospel is very simply what was described to you. Now, does that mean the fullness of the gospel is everything that God has to say and everything that God Uh, requires of us or all of the opportunities that God has given us no the purpose of the fullness of the gospel is to redeem men from the fall through the atonement of Jesus Christ so that they may be sanctified by his blood and be judged of him and allow the fullness of his mercy to come upon us that's how I would describe it that's the purpose of the fullness of the gospel But God has so much more for us. I think God has far more for us than even is articulated in the entire theology of the modern church of what we teach. I think there's so much more that God has. I I have no idea what it could possibly be, but it just seems like there is more to be revealed that God is holding back. He's waiting to see what we do with what we have. And then he has more to give. So it seems like there's some more important things to understand. This is what's amazing about God is he, he's just full of love and full of opportunity and and full of just amazing things. And so when we read the Book of Mormon, I, I've often heard people say, well, if the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, why does it say anything about temple marriage and baptism for the dead and uh, home teaching? <laughs> it's ministering now, but you know what I'm saying? Why does it say anything about... Uh, uh elders quorum and relief society you know all these different things well let's remember here the purpose of the book of mormon sometimes i think we forget what the book of mormon is and there's a lot of people who are not uh latter-day saints who are looking from the outside and and they're like wow your own book doesn't even have all these well let's let's look at what it says about itself and this is what moroni wrote this is the title page so this is the very first thing here that introduces us to the book of mormon first off it's written to the lamanites it's a record of the people of nephi and also the lamanites it's written to the lamanites primarily who are a remnant of the house of israel that is the target audience for the book of mormon i say that as a branding person so that's what's beautiful about this is right away it identifies the target audience and also to jew and gentile Right, So it it says, yeah, they're in there too, but it's written to the Lamanites. So unless you are a remnant of the house of Israel, descendant of Joseph of that branch that was here upon the American continent, this book is not written to you primarily. Doesn't mean we can't benefit from it, but the vast majority, unless there are those specific parts that are specifically speaking to the Gentiles, Because there are some, and the modern LDS church and the members as a whole are included among the Gentiles. If you are of Jewish descent, if you are a, a descendant of the house of Israel, yeah, it's written to you too. But it's primarily written to a specific group of people. So it says here that the purpose of this book, this record here, is to show all of these things that have happened and to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel, these Lamanites and the mixture of Nephites that are with them, what great things the Lord has done for their fathers. You get that? So this is a record of their ancestors and it's to show what God did for their ancestors and that they may know the covenants of the Lord that they are not cast off forever. And it's also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself to all nations. But the main primary thing, now obviously the Book of Mormon has multiple purposes, and we don't wanna confine it to just one thing only, but there is a primary overarching thing that this is a record from a certain group of people to their descendants, to tell them specific things that the covenants are not cast off, and here are the covenants. The primary key work of Christ is to redeem this world, the children of God, from the fall. Now, the modern church today, the teachings of the church, they talk about exaltation. And the Bible, I think, in many respects, touches on a lot of these things as well and i would say to many degrees even more so than the book of mormon discussing things related to to exaltation beyond this life but the primary purpose of the book of mormon is is very much salvation focused there's another article i wrote that was based on this other theologian who was talking about the greater and the lesser arches he's not um a Latter-day Saint, but he was talking about the, I think it's the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, the greater arch that goes from creation to deification. That's what they focus on more. And then the lesser arch is what most of the Protestant world focus on, which is from the fall to salvation. So lesser arch goes from, from the fall to salvation, the greater arch from creation to deification. So ideally, The big picture is built upon those two arches. But I would say that the Book of Mormon is primarily focused with the lesser arch. And so it's very important to understand what these things are so that we can articulate them, primarily so that we can make them effective in our lives and take full advantage of them. So if we want to receive the fullness of the gospel, We have to understand the gospel of Christ and the doctrine of Christ and not just understand it, but experience it because if we're not experiencing it, then it's like we're leaving a gift unwrapped when it's right there, right in front of us, but we make things way too complicated. We vastly, vastly, vastly overcomplicate things. We look beyond the mark and we're way out in the weeds in the bushes when, they, when it's right there in front of us. But that's one of the problems. And if you go back to Naaman, who was wanting to be cleansed of his leprosy and was told to go wash seven times in the Jordan River, it was too simple. It wasn't even a beautiful river. There were many more beautiful rivers. And the servant of Naaman was wise enough to say, hey, if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. If he would have asked you to go conquer a nation or climb to the top of the highest mountain or build a giant statue of something, you would have gone and done it. So why not just do this simple thing? And Naaman was at least humble enough to go, you know, you're right. And his faithfulness and his humility and his childlike, Obedience is what cleansed him, and that's what will happen to us if we follow the same route. Now you may say, "Well, I've been baptized; I've entered the water." Well, I would ask what Alma asked the brethren of the church in Alma five. He asked the brethren of the church, and, and if they were members of the church, they were likely baptized. And so he's asking them, brethren of the church, have you been spiritually born of God? And I would ask the same question to anyone out there who says they've been baptized. Have you been spiritually born of God? Has the Father visited you with fire and the Holy Ghost? If that's a question in your mind, if it's a doubt, if you have no idea, then I would ask you to consider this story This is one of my favorite stories. It was shared by a Baptist pastor, Paul Washer. It's a really great talk he gave. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It just slipped my mind. It's on YouTube. Paul Washer, it's a message he's giving to like 3,000 Baptist youth, a shocking message or something like that. And it's absolutely phenomenal. It's great. And he was talking about how everyone says they're saved, but yet they're no different from everyone else in the world. And he goes, hey, if I told you I was late today, let's say I came in super late for this meeting and I told everyone, well, what happened was is I got a flat tire and as I went to go change my tire, uh, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention and I got hit by a logging truck. Big old logging truck, boom, hit me going 70 miles an hour down the highway. Full on, bam. And so after I got hit, Uh, I got in the car and I drove here and that's why I'm late. And he goes, if I told you that story, you would either think I was crazy or I was a liar because he says there's no way you could be impacted by something as big as a logging truck and be unchanged, right? And in this case, unchanged between, you would be a splatter on the road. You'd be hamburger. You'd be a, a long smudge. So there's no way you could be standing here the same as you were before and unchanged. And then he asked the question, what is bigger and more powerful, a logging truck or God? The father. How can we say that we have been visited by the father with fire? And yet we are the same as we were before. You cannot encounter something that significant, impactful, and be the same afterwards. And in my own journey, I know that that's true because I was completely changed. I was a different person afterwards because of what I saw and experienced and was exposed to. there was no possible way i could see the world and other people or myself the same and so what i would put out there to anybody listening is wherever you may be let's say you've never been baptized let's say you're a member of another church you were baptized at one point let's say you're a a member of, of the church of jesus christ and and you have never been born of God visited by the father and fire and the Holy Ghost. You've never received this baptism of fire, go and receive here. You have the gospel right in front of you. You have the doctrine of Christ. You have the fullness of the gospel. It's right there. All you have to do is study it and find out what's missing. And either add that missing piece or remove the thing or things that are keeping those pieces from being in your life. And as you align yourself with those things, the blessings will come. Even if you think you foresee these things your entire life and you never have, and years and decades have gone by, and you feel guilty, you're like a sting in your heart, like, oh, I, I thought I had this, but I don't now. Oh my gosh, is my salvation being threatened, is it like all of that fear, all of that concern should melt away because look, here is the Lord in the scriptures, offering his hand, reaching out. And all you have to do is take it. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. This is a message for the present always. So no matter when we hear this message, no matter when we decide to turn to God, no matter when we decide to actually open up that present, And partake of what's inside immediately the plan of salvation will come into effect in our life and God will fulfill all of his promises his promises do not go stale they do not deteriorate over time they're just as powerful as the day the promises were originally made anyway I hope that message is helpful to someone out there this is something that is just constantly on my mind for a long, long time. And I think there are many people that struggle with this and they vastly overcomplicate these things and they worry about so many different things. And they're so concerned about so many different things, but God has made this so incredibly simple. We just need to stop overcomplicating it, go and receive. And then from there, a whole new path will open up to you. You'll be built upon a rock and nothing can shake you from it from the day I experienced my own baptism of fire November 30th 2000 I can never forget that night from that moment to this day I've never ever once doubted God's love no matter how many crappy things I've gone through whatever I've never doubted God's love his promises And his influence in my life, no matter what things have come across my path, things that make me doubt this or that, or be concerned about this or that. I never doubted God. I've never doubted my path in life and that it is in accordance with his will. And that has been an incredible comfort to me. And I don't say any of this to boast or brag. I'm saying it because it's simply true. And it's important for me to speak the truth. And I know sometimes it's difficult to to talk about some of these types of things, but these are not super advanced, deep, uh, inaccessible doctrines and revelations and truths and teachings. This is the simple, basic, most fundamental thing that Jesus taught. And if we can't talk about that, and if we can't, And if we can't say that, yes, some people, many people have received this and are living it and enjoying it, then what's the point? Are we all going to sit around and pretend like this is only available to like three people, you know, who are never supposed to speak about it? No, we should shout this from the rooftops and point people in the way so everyone can receive this. This is not meant to be hidden away and buried under the rug. This is meant for the world to enjoy openly and so that we can rejoice together and celebrate. And so I hope that somebody hears this message and pursues Christ in this way and takes advantage of what he has done for us and receive the fullness of those blessings. Thank you for listening today and I'll talk to you again on the next episode of the One Climbs podcast.